Uh, one thing about Jesus is this, is you know, his ministry, when it started, it kind of exploded in attendance. And if you read through those New Testament biblical accounts of what was going on, uh, he was constantly being followed by huge crowds. Everywhere he showed up, any town he'd show up, people would flood to him. Uh, he would try to get away to get some rest, and people just wouldn't leave him alone. And he had 12 leaders with him, 12, they called them disciples, uh, who really, you can see from day one, a lot of what they're doing is crowd control. Who gets time with Jesus? Who doesn't? Uh, Who gets access? Who doesn't? And constantly, they're making decisions. And some, they are saying, you are worthy of his time, and some, they're saying, not worthy. And in this, Jesus has a moment where he clarifies for them. They have a misperception about who he is and what his church and his kingdom will be like. And we're going to look at one of them today. And it's found in the book of Mark. And in this, the disciples are having one of their most frequent disagreements. You'll see it in a second. One of their big debates internally. And they decide to go to Jesus to clarify this. It's Mark 10. And it says this, that people were bringing little children to Jesus, little kids, for him to place their hands on them. They're hoping that Jesus will just say a prayer of their kids. That's all. But the disciples rebuked them. Brutal, right? Imagine a huge crowd. All these people want time with Jesus. Some of them have someone sick. They need prayers for healing. Some of them are really important people, whether in religious circles or political circles. They get in. Some of them are parents who have little kids. And they said, is there any chance Jesus would pray for my kid? And the disciples rebuked them, basically saying, he's too busy. You think he's got time for this? Harsh, right? Seems very harsh in our culture. For that day, this actually was pretty fitting. Uh, little kids in the culture of Jesus, they, uh, they didn't have status or standing. Uh, when I grew up, there was a phrase about kids that was said frequently. And the phrase was that kids should be seen and not what? Yeah, seen and not heard. And the idea was that as when I was a kid, I just knew I could be with my parents when they're hanging with adults. I didn't talk. Uh, in their day it's probably one step further. You're really not even seen as a kid. That's the level you are. You're loved. Uh, We don't mistreat you, but the adults talk about the important things, religious things, political things. We're making decisions. Kids don't bug us. So in this moment, what the disciples did, when they said, you can't bother Jesus with your kids, uh, they, they weren't any different than what society was saying. But Jesus here takes a dramatic turn. And as he so often does, he sets us straight when we have a misperception about what he really wants in the world. This passage says this, that when Jesus saw this, when he saw the disciples rebuking these parents, he was indignant. Jesus was angry, right? If you thought Jesus didn't get angry, you should read the Bible sometime. Um, And followers of Christ, you should pay attention about what makes him angry. Because that points to this is what he wants his church to be like. He was indignant that they would keep these kids from him. And he says to them, let the little children come to me. Don't get in the way. Don't hinder them at all. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. My kingdom, he goes, my church belongs to kids. And then in one of the tender images, this stark contrast, he's uh, incensed at his disciples for the decision. And then he turns with such compassion to these kids. It says he takes these kids into his arms. And he places his hands on them to bless them and cares about them and prays for them. Beautiful, isn't it? Uh, Each of the Gospels tells a story like this that points out kids mattered to Jesus. And he wanted to be crystal clear. He was never too busy for kids. Never too busy. 
He's like, let him come to me. And he also gave a stark warning. His followers, don't you do anything that would hinder that child from coming to faith in him. Our job is to pave the way for kids so they'll know his love, they'll know his grace, they'll understand who he is. That's part of our job. And this was a game changer because no entity in the world at that time was like this that had this high of value on kids. But Jesus said his followers here on out Kids are invited to the table. No such thing as a kid's table in his kingdom. We all sit at the same table. Kids are to be valued. They're to be respected. They're to be invited and loved. And it changed everything. Our church, we looked at this teaching years ago and said, kids are going to have a high value to us. We're going to give our very best to our kids from the minute they're born and show up in the nursery until the minute they graduate from high school with our blessing. We're going to give them the very best. Our hope is that when they go off to life, whether it's college or to a job, when they reflect back, they go, I won the lottery. I got to grow up at that church. I was loved. I had fun. It was great. I could understand faith. So my best memories came about at that church. That's always been our hope. My personal vision for some of you My personal vision is that your kids get you out of bed to say, we have to go to church on Sunday morning. I hear stories, I hope they drag you to church. If you ever have a day where like, I'm going to sleep in, I hope your kids say, I can't miss church. I love it that much. And that's our hope. And we try to teach your kids very critical things. Three key messages we want every kid to know at our church. Uh, Three messages. One is, and again, if if you'll bring your kids, I think they're going to get this. Number one is that every child is immensely loved by our God. Isn't that good? Uh, You're not kind of loved. You're not a little loved. He has an immense love for you. And that there's nothing you can do to earn that love. And there's nothing you've done that can lose it. He loves you. We want every kid to know this. We want them to know they can take it to the bank. If there's anything you can trust, it's that. That God loves you. Second, we said God, out of his love, created you. You were made with a purpose and a plan in his world. God couldn't wait for the day you'd be born. Bible says he knit you together. Bible says he's watched over you every day of your life. You have a purpose and a plan in this world. God wants to be uh, in a relationship with you, caring, but he has something for you to do here. And part of your job is to figure out what are your gifts and what are your talents and abilities for his purposes in the world. You got a plan. He loves you. You got a plan. And then third, you're never too young to be used by God. Here's the truth about this. God will use anyone on the planet who opens up their heart and life and says, God, I believe in you. If there's anything I can do, you just ask and I'll do it. God is described in the Bible as whoever has a heart towards him, he's willing to use them no matter how young you are. And by the way, good news, you're never too old to be used by God too, right? That's good news for some of us. Yes, we cheer that on. But to say to kids, little kids, you can be used by God. And some of the times, uh, you know, out of the youngest child's mouth comes words that just shape our own faith, right? Or actions we watch where we go, oh, that inspires me. Oh, that's what I'm going to be like. You're never too young to be used by God. You never graduate to the age where now he can use you. From day one, if your heart's turned to him, you can be used. We want every kid to know that. You're immensely loved. He's got a purpose for your life. And you can always be used by him. You bring your kids week in and week out. I guarantee they're going to hear those messages. They're going to be embedded in them. You think about teens today who struggle so much with purpose. And what am I supposed to do with my life? Man, what a message. 
I wish every child in the world could know this, God's great love, his purpose and plan, and his desire to use them for great things in the world. That's our hope for every kid in our church. Now, there's one other aspect, though, in Jesus' teaching. Yes, kids should be cared for and valued, and we should do nothing to get in the way. We should do everything we can to serve them. But Jesus taught one other aspect about kids that's very important for us today. And this also is found in each of the Gospels, a little different. This one I'm going to read to you is from the book of Matthew. It's Matthew 18. Matthew 18 describes, again, the disciples are debating who gets to be the best, who's the person at the highest, who's at the top of the food chain. One of their frequent debates. Jesus then is invited in. And it says this, at the time, disciples came to Jesus. They decided to go to him. Jesus, tell it to us straight. Which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Can you imagine having that debate, the 12 of you? We want to know which one of us is going to be the greatest. Who's at the top of the food chain? Uh, Who gets all the attention? Whose gifts are most important and abilities? And Jesus has uh, a lesson for them. The Bible describes in the middle of this question and this debate, he walked over to a little child and calls the child to him, it says. And then he brought the child and placed this little kid right in the middle of the group. And he says to them, I tell you, unless you change and become like this little kid, maybe four or five-year-old, unless you become more like this child, you'll never enter my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. You have to become like a child. Now this message is one that theologians have debated for centuries. What does this mean, right? What exactly do we as old adults need to figure out about kids to get into God's kingdom? Is it that we need to be humble like a little kid? Is it that we need to be joyful like a child? What is it? You may have a thought on this. The key point I want you to notice is this. So Jesus said for adults, people like us, for us to understand what it means to be part of his church, part of his kingdom, we have to be learning from kids. Kids have something to teach us. So let me ask you, if you're a Christian, what in your faith have you learned from a child recently? Last two months. What in your faith have you looked at a child and gone, oh, that that is an aspect I've got to learn and apply to my life. Do you have one? If, If you don't, if you don't have one, can I encourage you? Probably time to invest in kids and be around them more so you can help them and love them, but so you can learn from them more too. Uh, can I give you one that I've learned from a kid recently? Over, overwhelming. That's amazing. Yes. What a response. Yes. Uh, so I saw something just uh, recently uh, where a kid was given a gift. And it wasn't their birthday. There was no reason. It was just a gift wrapped up. And that child ripped open the present, looked at this gift, smiled at the person who gave it, and said, Thank you so much. He just received a gift. And I thought about this. If you repeated the exact same scene, but with an adult, I think it would have been a very different response. See, I know if I just randomly give one of my friends a gift, not on their birthday, not on Christmas, nothing, just I bought you a gift. I think the response I would most give was, oh, wait a second. I, I didn't realize we were getting gifts for each other. I, I didn't get anything for you. I feel terrible. I was thinking about my brother and I, we years ago figured out that we were going to give each other basically the same gift at every holiday and every birthday. We basically are sending each other the same gift card back and forth, same amount, same store, because neither of us wants to be the one who doesn't buy the nicer gift. We want to be the same. This makes sense? Kids are model receivers. They're not worried about, did they get you something? They're just grateful they received a gift. Adults, we're not so good at this, are we? 
Uh, think about this. If a kid, you see them drawing a picture, right? And they're coloring on the table. And you walk up to that kid and you go, that is a beautiful picture. A smile comes to the kid's face. They look at it like, oh, thank you. I know it's really good, isn't it? <laughs> Do the same with an adult. Painting a picture. Walk up. Wow, that is a stunning painting. Most often, I think that adult's going to turn and go, hey, really, this isn't my best work. Uh, I'm, it's not done. I'm still working on it, and uh, I think it'd get better. Because we're not even really good at receiving compliments. And see, here's the lesson about faith. The core of our faith is one about receiving. The Bible describes we don't earn our way to heaven. We don't do anything to deserve God's love. It is all a gift. And so to have the right heart about this faith, we have got to become great at receiving. Just go, I don't have to pay God back. I just get to receive. I don't have to earn my way. In fact, I can't. I just get to receive. I'm watching this kid going, I actually have a long way to go on this. Because in my heart, deep down, I still at times am trying to earn my way or show that I'm worthy or show that uh, maybe that I'm good enough. Does this make sense? Again, Jesus said it, adults, there's something in us, something about being an adult or grown-up that actually is a barrier to fully understanding his kingdom and living out this faith. And he was bringing a kid in to go, you better pay attention to kids because they've got something they can teach you. They have something about the way they live, the questions they ask, the things they say, that you as adults have got to learn to fully live out this kingdom. See, this is the truth about kids inside the church in Jesus' kingdom. It isn't just that we adults are called to teach them and care about them. We are. We're also called to learn from them. It's a two-way street in this. And the best churches I know have figured this out where they go, we build into our kids. We give them the very best. And we're humbled as adults. What are they going to teach us? How are we going to learn from them? Have you had lessons you've learned from kids recently? If not, again, I encourage you, probably time to figure out how to get involved with them. My life, uh, my life has been shaped by adults, many of them, who made the choice to invest in me. And uh, I could tell you lots of stories. I only want to tell you one uh, from my life about one person. And uh, the story goes, I grew up in a little church in Missouri. Uh, when we first started, when I was a little kid, kindergarten, there's only like three guys my age, all the same age. And uh, I just, I'll confess, I'm at church. Uh, we weren't the best behaved three kids at church. And the evidence of this was that every year, the leader who was called to care about us quit every year. And uh, kindergarten, they quit. And uh, they had to ask, we need another leader for these boys. In first grade, they quit. We, we need another, second grade, they quit. Third grade, I'm not lying, third grade, they quit. Fourth grade, the summer of fourth, fourth grade, I remember the pastor made an announcement to the congregation. Once again, we need a volunteer. The boys are now fourth grade. And no one volunteered. Uh, but there was a new guy at church who didn't know better. And, uh, and his name was Mike. We ended up calling him Mo, construction worker. And he was honest. He's, he'd never done anything with kids. Uh, he had a couple little kids, but they were tiny. But he said, look, if you need help with these boys, if I can help out, I will. And he'd never led a Bible study. He'd never taught a lesson. Um, and here's the fun thing. You know, we put him to the test. All our shenanigans uh, didn't phase him, and he kind of seemed like he was expecting it, which won our respect. And actually, that fourth grade year, we just came to love him. And, uh, and then something miraculous happened. 
we got to the summer between fourth grade and fifth grade, and he said, I'll, I'll stay with them another year. This had never happened in our lives. We couldn't believe it. A leader sticking with us. And I stuck with us through fifth grade. And, uh, and then he stuck with us in sixth grade, and then seventh, and eighth, and ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Stuck with us all the way until we graduated. And uh, Mo became, uh, well, I'll tell you. Uh, 13 was the age I was. A bunch of things happened in my life. And at a camp, I felt like God was asking me to, to get into ministry. And this seemed ludicrous to me. I couldn't believe that, you know, did I mishear him? First person I talked to was Mo. And I just said, you got to help me process this. And he did. My senior year, just before I graduated, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And I was wrestling with, do I go away to college or not? Do I stay close to home to help care for what do I do? First person I called was Mo. And uh, he was just... Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. I don't remember a single lesson he ever taught. I don't remember any of them. But I was watching him. And, and I knew quickly that he loved me. I, that was never a question. But I watched him as a, as a husband. And I just learned from him. You know, I had my dad as an example. I needed another example. What's it mean to be a great husband? And he was a great husband. And his kids were littler than me. And so I just watched him. What's it mean to be a great dad? I've got my dad. I want another example. He was a great dad. And he taught me so much. I don't know if any of it was with his words, but it was with his life. And uh, here's what you need to know if you're thinking about serving. Oftentimes, the biggest barrier to someone stepping in to help kids is they go, do I know enough? And can I tell you, you don't have to know it. The only thing those kids hope is that you'll listen to them and love them. Just be present with them. Just be with them. And uh, that is enough. That's what they're really hoping for. And Mike really invited us into his life. It was more than just a Sunday morning thing. Uh, by the time we got to middle school, we started doing a Monday night football at his house. And we would all gather. By that time, the group had grown some. We'd all gather at his house. And we watched Monday night football every Monday night through our uh, high school year. We would do things like basketball tournaments and slam dunk tournaments in his front yard. And we had to lower the goal, I confess it. But... Uh, but we were doing life. And uh, uh, 23 years ago, I accepted a job here at this church. First job out of college. Mike flew up to uh, see the church and to cheer me on. Pray for me. We walked around and so fun to show him this church. A year ago when I stepped into this role, one of the first emails I got was from him. Encouraging me, praying for me. Saying, I believe in you. Uh, I share this because... Uh, Because when I was in fourth grade, a construction worker who had never served with kids before heard an announcement from the stage and said, I'll do it. And I always tell him this, like, if there's any fruit from my ministry, he has a big part in that. Because I'm not sure I'd be in ministry if it wasn't for his role. Does this make sense? And, and he, I would tell you, would say, I think now, that this is now both ways. That he's learned things from me, I'm learning things from him. And that's the beauty of what Jesus is teaching. Friends, we always value kids. We want to give them our best and we invite them to the table so we can learn from them because you never know what God's going to teach you and me through a little kid. Now, I want to speak to you real quick about some of the needs here at our church because they're specific needs. And uh, some of you know that on Sundays when I don't have to teach and I've got a little more freedom, I love to walk around the church, shake hands, meet people, and I love to cheer on our volunteers. It's one of my favorite things to do. 
And uh, several weeks ago, I went down to Promised Land to the two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old room, that little corridor. And I thought, I'm just going to stand here and greet people and thank the volunteers. And something happened which surprised me. Just a few minutes after the service started, I saw a kid uh, running up so excited to go to Promised Land, three-year-old, ran up to the three-year-old room, and she heard uh, that the room was closed. Uh, They couldn't have any more kids. And, uh, and so I walked over to figure out what's going on. What you need to know about Promised Land is we have ratios. How many adults to how many kids for safety purposes? Very clear. Every room has these ratios. And if we don't have enough volunteers, then, uh, then we have to stop the room just for safety. We can't add any more kids. And on this day, there were a few volunteers who couldn't make it. They seemed to have more kids than they were anticipating. And, and this little girl couldn't come to Promised Land. Heartbreaking. And then I watched kid after kid after kid come after her hearing the same message. We can't open the doors. I'm so sorry. All because we didn't have enough volunteers. And this is the first I'd heard of it. So I asked our promise end director, I said, can you just send me an email every Sunday or Saturday? If there's a service where they close the room, I want to know about this. Is this a one-time occurrence or is this more frequent? And I'm bringing this to your attention because almost every week since then, at least one room has been closed. It varies by age. It's never just one age. But it became clear we need more volunteers. And I just find this just candidly uh, unthinkable that we wouldn't fix this problem. You know, in church work, some of the times you have a problem that's hard to fix. This is fixable. We've got enough space in the rooms. We have a great program. All we don't have is enough volunteers for our kids to have a great experience. And I thought, I've got to have a Sunday to tell you the church about this so that you can go, hey, I want to be part of fixing that problem. Just more volunteers and promise them will open up the door for more kids and my dream is no kid gets turned around at this church. That no child ever hears the phrase, you can't come in. So that's my hope on Promise Land. Now in this, I thought, well, are there other needs too? You know, does Elevate or Impact have any needs? Uh, discovered from them. Again, some leaders uh, have stepped away. They've got more high school kids. And they've begun combining small groups. So that, uh, again, a small group there, you need two adults to a group of eight or ten. And that creates a great experience. But when they combine groups, you end up with two adults to like 18 or 20. Now, that's not a small group anymore, is it? 20, that's not small at all. And what they're sharing with me is those kids, um, at a time when they most need to be seen and heard and listened to, uh, it's, it's impossible to listen to 20 kids. It's too big of a group. But they don't have enough leaders to get the right size group so they can be meaningful and thoughtful. And I thought, I've got to tell you this, that we need more leaders in impact. That age, that's the age, especially for that Mo, Mike, my friend, that's the age where I looked at him to go, I need a mentor to really help me think through things. Boy, they could use you. Uh, Elevate the same thing. One of the most difficult ages for kids is those middle school years. And the power of having someone just care about you, listen to you, love you. And uh, I know in our church, uh, many times you can come to a big church like this and it just looks like everything's working great. They don't need me. I, I hear that from people. And I wanted to just make you aware of the need, invite you to join and help solve these problems and create a great experience for every kid who walks into this church. And so before we go on with the service, I just want to say a prayer that God would move in you and guide you and even call you out to join us to help provide this for our children. So would you pray with me? Yeah, so God, this morning, this is our prayer. This is my prayer. God, I just ask you, just reach out of heaven. Touch hearts in this room. Just let people know 
They're one of the people you're inviting to jump in. They don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to have it all figured out. But would they be one who's willing to just step up, create a great experience for an infant or a toddler, grade schooler, middle schooler, high schooler? God, some here know the exact thing they want to do. Others, they don't know what it is, but they're saying, my hand's raised, just put me in. God, would you just guide them to the right age, the right role, the right place? And God, I do lift this prayer to you because I don't want to ever see a kid turned away again. I want every kid who comes in here excited to learn about you to experience an open door, a group waiting to welcome them and the chance to know that they are immensely loved by you. So now, God, as we continue in this service, we ask that you would be with us, leading us and providing now. In the name of Christ, we pray this. Amen. When I was in the fourth grade, my favorite part of the day came right at the very end. Story time. And you might think that a bunch of fourth graders would have felt like they had sort of outgrown story time, but not when it came to Mrs. Segler. Because when our teacher opened a book, that story came to life. And I remember some of those first few weeks of school, the late summer heat and humidity hanging heavily in that classroom. And even with the windows wide open, all the breeze managed to do was rattle those old metal window blinds. But it didn't really matter because I was hardly there. Because she would open that book and I'd be whisked off to Oz or to Terabithia or any other number of places. And I remember that year she had our class read stories like crazy and write stories like crazy. And then we put on a fourth grade play. And at the end of it, after the final bow, she pulled me aside and she said, you know, Nick, you have a real gift for telling stories. And that was the first time that I started to believe that maybe I had a gift for telling stories and it changed my life. But even more than that, Mrs. Segler loved Jesus. And that year, she pulled back the curtain on God's creativity and helped me see how he was the originator of any story that I would ever tell. She took all the creative things she loved and the God she loved, and she put them together and gave them to me like a gift, simply by being present in my life. But she wasn't the only one. My dad was always trying to pass things down to me, whether it was his love of fixing cars or pretty much any broken thing or his passion for music. I mean, the guy can play almost any instrument he touches. And some of those things passed on to me better than others. But the one thing he definitely passed on was his love for his heavenly father, because that was the one thing that permeated all the other things. And then my mom... (laughs) She's always had this laugh and it starts out as a giggle, but at some point she just can't control herself anymore and no one around her can control themselves anymore because it is absolutely infectious. But the most infectious thing about my mom, the thing that I caught from her was how often I would walk into the dining room and find her seated on a chair at the table with her Bible open, highlighter in hand, studying God's word. And then my youth pastor, to tell you the truth, I don't know how he ever got anything done because my friends and I, we were always popping by and plopping down in one of the office chairs and then peppering him with all kinds of questions, questions about anything and everything, but especially our questions about Jesus. 
And then Mr. and Mrs. Kelber, the parents of one of my best friends, their door was always open. I was always welcome and they would share a movie with me or pizza rolls with me. And they also shared life with me. All of it, the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. There wasn't a single topic that was off limits. And from them, I saw how real life and real faith came together. And I look back now and I realize just how fortunate I was because I was surrounded by people who helped to form my faith. And most people, they don't get that. I know lots of people whose faith was formed in the absence of those kinds of relationships, but not one of them would tell you that that was ideal. And that's because research actually says that the best way to form faith in kids, faith that lasts, faith that can stand the test of time and adolescence and peer pressure and college and life is when those kids are surrounded by at least five adults who have strong faith and who are invested in the life of that kid. But like I said, most people don't have that. Most kids don't have that. Most kids are just longing to be seen. My name is Jack. I'm in middle school. Having someone who is there for me constantly would make me feel like I matter. Like I have someone in my life other than my family who cares about me. I could use someone I can be open and honest with. Someone who won't judge me for what I am going through. I need someone who I know will listen to me and guide me through my week. I need someone I can trust when times are hard. My name is Dominance. I'm in high school. It's easy for me to keep to myself. If no one encourages me, I'm usually the last one to speak up. I don't always let people know how I'm feeling or what's on my mind. But I want to. I want to talk to someone. I need someone who will show up time after time and be a safe place. I need someone who will see me. My name is Julie. I'm the mom of an eight and 10 year old. I pour into my kids, but I have to admit that my reach only goes so far. I want my kids to be built up by a bigger village, a bigger fellowship. I need other people who aren't the ones nagging them to clean their rooms and put away their bikes for the one millionth time. I need them to have people who love Jesus. People who will help me make sure my kids know that Jesus loves them too. I know that I simply can't be everything my kids need. Kids and students of all ages are hoping to be seen. And if there is anywhere that I hope that can happen, it's the church. What if Willow were that kind of place? What if Willow were the kind of place where every child was connected to adults who were committed to them and who were helping shape their faith? The vision of our kids and student ministries isn't to invite all the kids to a big group experience. The most important place our kids are invited into is small groups where every kid is looked in the eye by a leader who knows them. And this is happening at Willow. 
We asked Jack to remember what it was like the first day that he walked in to elevate our middle school ministry. We asked Dominance to remember what she was longing for when she first came to impact our high school ministry. And we asked Julie to remember what she was praying for her kids when she first checked them into promised land. And the beautiful thing is that today, each one of those kids has an amazing small group leader. And they'd be the first one to tell you that that leader loves them, is committed to them, and is helping shape their faith week after week. That is happening at Willow. But not for every kid. There are so many kids who haven't experienced that yet. Kids who don't have those kinds of relationships in their life. And we want them to find those people. But as you heard before, too many of our small groups are simply too big. We need more adults who are willing to be one of those five people who will help shape the faith of a kid. We need you. The question is, will you? Will you be one of those five? Will you be someone who sees these kids Will you be someone who says yes to what God can do through you? Will you be someone who says yes to what God can do in you? Because we never can know what God might want to do. I never could have known that God was leading to my serving sweet spot. I could have never known how much God was gonna transform my soul through the process. Middle school has always scared me. I felt like you had to maybe be a middle school teacher or like have a heart for middle school kids. I even was thinking, yeah, I go to bed at nine o'clock. So um, I jumped right in. I have gained so many great relationships through, through Elevate when it comes to other leaders and staff. I don't think I would have ever known that they actually valued just presence, my story and just how it relates to theirs. I couldn't have known how much more I would gain from the experience than I gave. You just need to show up and love these kids. Where they're at, meet them there. You simply love these kids. You care about them when they show up. You're there week after week, and you get to see these transformations take place at camp, and Sunday after Sunday, it's like seeing miracles take place right in front of your eyes. I've always been amazed at how many times I've been tired and thinking to myself, like, I just don't have what I need to have to give to these kids today. After it's all said and done, you know, I come out of that refreshed and renewed, and I feel ready for the next week. The depth of relationship and the meaning of the relationships that I would develop with the parents, helping a mom who is hesitant to leave her child, celebrating milestones through grieving loss together. We do it all and and we are really there for, for the parents and I love that. We moved from Texas like six years ago and my son counted on his small group leader in Elevate so much. Be able to say, I have another cheerleader that's not my parent. It's just awesome. My nine to five pays the bills. My ministry to the high school kids um, brings color, you know, to my life more than anything else. See, I get a big smile on my face right away. They just have a way of looking through the world with a different lens. And these girls, they just pulled me in. I just would love to know that as they get older, they are just, they're following Christ. Just jump in. 
God is going to surprise you in so many ways. It's just miraculous and gorgeous. I would not have it another way. They just climbed up into my heart and burrowed in there, and I'm so glad I said yes. I never could have known. I never could have known. I never could have known. It's just kind of life-changing. We have... We have amazing leaders and volunteers who serve our kids and our students. And I think this morning it would be, uh, well, we've got to cheer them on, right? So can we give all the leaders, all the volunteers a huge hand for how they care for our kids, love our kids. Yeah, way to go. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Now, you've heard it. We need you. Uh, Our church needs you. These kids need you. And I just want to make it as simple as I can. If you, I want to help. I want to be part of this. Uh, two ways. Uh, one is you can just grab your phone and just text this. Text the word kids to this number. Just do it right now. We'll leave this up. And you go, I, I, what will happen is someone's going to give you a call in the next couple of days, talk you through all the opportunities. And you may know, hey, this is the age I'd love to be with, or here's the role I'd like. You may go, I have no idea, but uh, help me out. And they just love to guide you through different opportunities for you. The other option is you just go right outside to the lobby, to our welcome center. Just stop by there and say, put me on the list. Put me in the game, whatever I can do. I want to help make a great experience for every one of our kids. And we'd love that. I would tell you, if you're sensing that little tug at your heart, you go, I think I want to do this. Don't ignore it and don't walk out the doors. Get signed up and begin the process right here. And uh, I think you'll never regret that. And uh, So why don't you stand up now? I'll close us with a word of prayer. As a reminder, uh, you don't want to miss next week. And uh, I think next week's going to be one of just a can't forget weekend that we're going to have together. Let's pray, can we? So God, this is my prayer for this church. God, I want our church to live out your teachings. You're the one who said, don't get in the way of a little one coming to know you. God, I, I want to live that out. I want to live out as adults that we're looking at kids going, what does it mean to be part of this kingdom? What can I learn from this child? What can they teach me? And God, I hope for every kid, there's someone in their life like I had with Mo, someone who didn't have all the answers, but who cared, who loved, who was present, who had fun, who celebrated the good days, who wept with me on the tough ones. God, I hope every kid in our church has someone just like that. And God, it might be someone listening to this prayer now. So Holy Spirit, do what you do best. Speak to that person. Move in them, stir in them so that they step out, they get involved. And God, we'll just wait and see what you do next. Father, we love you. Guide us, lead us, use us in your world. God, we love to be used by you. We pray this now in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Great to be with you. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you back next weekend. Take care, everybody.